0: The last time I had the privilege of bringing and opening the Word of God to you was uh, last winter, and we were looking at images of Christ, and we looked at Christ as the Lamb of God, and we looked at some of the intentional architectural features of this building, and we pointed them out to you. How many might have been there and could remember that we talked about those? Okay. Uh, There's a little review for you, and our guests will get a little quick, quickie here on um, some of the things that were designed into this church. Um, I pointed out that uh, we have a stained glass, that was done in the 60s, kind of modern, and the only stained glass in the building, not in our outside windows, but as a piece of art, and it has the world right here, this is the world, and if you see in those purple hands of God, holding the world, because the whole world is in his hands. And the care that he gives, and, and the control that he has, just as was shared with the children when he talked about that God's in charge and he holds us and he reminds us as we come to worship each day that he's in charge and right in the center, the centrality of Jesus Christ, the cross of Jesus that we'll talk a little bit more about in this message this morning. And then we looked at the clinker bricks that the building's built out of, clinker bricks. Clinkers are the ones you throw away. You see some are burned, some are discolored, some are faded. These were the bricks that were rejected, And the church, when they said, he said, you know what? That's what we all are. We're all imperfect. None of us are perfect. And yet, what does God do? He takes us and he can build us into a beautiful church. And that's who we are. And these are some of the things we talked about in that message. And um, after the message, Sally Hargraves came up to me and said, do you remember that you shared years and years ago about an unintentional architectural feature of this building? And I'm racking my brain. She says, yeah, your son came up with it. And I'm thinking, okay, now I have to go back 30 years. (laughs) And sure enough, I recalled. my son came to me after church. And some of you have some of your older children still sitting with you. And he said, Dad, is it ah or is it ha? Ah or ha? And I'm saying, help me out here a little bit. And he said, well, you know, when they built the church, you see the big um, girders here, or the big, uh, what do you call those? Beams, Beams, thank you. The big beams here with the cross makes an H. You see the H? And if you go over here, you see the beams with the cross make an A. And he was simply asking me, is it ha or is it ah? (laughs) You know what I told him? It's both. When we look up, when we look up and think about our salvation and think about the mercy of God, ah, how great is the mercy of God. And when we experience that mercy, ha, what a joy. So when we look up and think about the mercy of God, we are in awe and we are in joy. So unintentional architectural feature of our church. But there was one last feature that I... I said, I didn't really mention in the last message, and I was thinking about it. It's the fact that our stained glass is up here. It's intentional that we never put stained glass in any of our windows looking out. Because we always wanted to see into the world and what's going on. And in fact, seeing the pain and suffering and struggle that is taking place in our community. Again, That was referred to in our children's sermon. That God's justice, there is always a penalty for our sin. Uh, God's laws are immutable. Gravity works. It'll always work. In fact, if gravity didn't work, none of us would be here today. God is a just God. And people have to experience the consequences of their sin. And when we see an ambulance fly up the street or a policeman go down that street, we realize that in many cases they're responding to the problem of sin the results of sin, the tragedy of sin. And we have to look out into the world and see a world that's broken and suffering from the consequences of sin and God's justice. I was thinking about these pictures when Nate came to me and said, Gene, I need you to cover me. Uh, I have to be away with family. And uh, we're, by the way, in the Old Testament, Isaiah prophets, which isn't my sweet spot, by the way. And, um, but as he told me about Isaiah 11. He said, I want you to preach from Isaiah 11. I realized that these two pictures that were swimming around in my head are actually talked about in this passage. And I want us to think about that. And this passage is actually a solution to a real problem we have. And I'm going to try this new technology that we have here. You're leaving me in control of the technology here. I just want you to be aware of that. But as we look out into the world and see God's justice at work in the punishment for sin and guilt, and yet we think about God's grace, we have a problem. Do we worship a just God who justly punishes sin or a gracious God who forgives and overlooks our sin? And you see, that's a problem for us even as believers. Sometimes we talk about we have two gods. We talk about the God of the Old Testament being a God of justice and wrath and the God of the New Testament being God of mercy and love. Like we have two gods. It's the same God. In fact, mercy is mentioned 290 times in the Old Testament and God's judgment is mentioned in the New Testament. How do these things work? This is our question we're going to answer today and the answer is found in our scriptures. If you'll turn to Isaiah 11 and look at... verse a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse from the root will bear fruit now first of all what about this stump the stump of Jesse Jesse was David's father David the king of Israel and it was promised that out of his kingdom Jesus would be born but there was a judgment that came and that tree was chopped down and first, in Israel, the stump of Israel was chopped down by Assyria, never to grow again. Isaiah is prophesying and telling the, the tribe of Judah that the same result will happen to them if they do not respond to God's word, and they don't, and they are chopped down. God's justice is sure. In fact, if you go back to the chapter just before, if you look at chapter 10, verses 33... And 34, this is about Assyria. The very group that chopped down Israel, look what's going to happen to them. See, the Lord, the Lord Almighty, will lop off the boughs with great power. The lofty trees will be felled. The tall ones will be brought low. He will cut down the forest thicket with his axe. Lebanon, or Assyria, will fall before the mighty one. God's justice is sure. Whatsoever you sow, that shall you also reap. God is a just God. But what do we see in this one stump? The stump of Jesse. We see a shoot. A shoot that's going to bear fruit. Well, let's take a look at what the solution to our question here is. Now, first of all, we have the false solution. The unjust judge. You see, every religion has this problem. Everybody knows about evil, good and evil, and um, they have to solve it somehow. And for instance, Allah, the God Allah, sets aside his judgment, his justice, I'm sorry, and substitutes mercy. And after all, he's God, why can't he do whatever he wants? And that's how he solves it. I'm just going to lay aside my justice and we're going to show mercy here. But think about that a minute. You remember that cheater in the game here? I don't know if you're still playing Candyland, but maybe I'll bring it up a little bit. You go out to your car this afternoon and it's gone. You get a call later this afternoon, and it's wrapped around a tree. It's gone. By the way, you just had not paid your insurance, by the way. So now you don't have a car. And you come to court fully expecting justice to be done. This car being replaced, you didn't take it, you didn't wreck it. You want justice. The judge says, you know what? I'm going to lay aside my justice. We're just going to forgive this guy. You don't have a car. You like an unjust judge? Lay aside justice? You know what? Christianity has the only answer to this. This has the only answer that totally satisfies this question. Because the solution, the justice and mercy of God, are found in Jesus. Found in that shoot that came out of the stump. Think about this a minute. Does sin need to be punished? Are the wages of sin death? Eternal death? Separation from God? Absolutely. But you know what happened? The God of the universe sent his own son to pay that price. He paid the price. He took my punishment. He took my guilt. He took it and removed it as far as the east from the west to never be seen again. And he looks at me as his perfect child. God, the perfectly just God, demanded. And he satisfied it in the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. That is the mercy and justice of God at work in a miraculous way. You see, you and I can benefit from the justice and mercy found in Jesus Christ. So what is our response? What is our response to this gift of grace? Is to accept the forgiveness available in Jesus Christ and give our lives to Him who paid for them on the cross. And I hope that's true for each one of you this morning. I hope each one of you realize that God has paid the price and you don't have to. That you've accepted his forgiveness and given your life in return to him who bought it on the cross. But he doesn't just leave us there. He goes on to tell us what are the fruits of this new relationship with our Heavenly Father. Now that we stand perfected before him. Well, this passage lays out three things that I want to talk about in the time we have remaining. If you look at verse 2, the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. This is our Messiah, this is Jesus. And this passage talks about how Jesus experiences this relationship with his Father, how he lives it out, and is then a picture, an example for us to live out. So let's see how Jesus lived this out. Jesus had the spirit of God resting on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, such that he knew the mind of God. It says he had the spirit of counsel and might. If you know what God wants you to do, do you have confidence? If you know the mind of God, can you operate in strength? Do you remember what they said about Jesus' teaching? He didn't teach like the Pharisees. He didn't teach, well, on the one hand and on the other hand, and maybe we could consider this, and maybe we could try that. He knew the mind of God. He taught with authority. No one taught like that. He had the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So he knew the mind of God. He had the confidence to operate in that mind of knowledge and wisdom it says he delighted in verse 3 he delighted in the Lord and then it goes on in the rest of verse 3 and 4 into 5 he did not judge with his eyes he did not judge at a surface level but he looked at the heart he judged with righteousness he judged the needy with justice he made decisions for the poor And yet he will strike the earth with his rod. With his breath, his lips will slay the wicked. He's still a just and merciful God. Righteousness will be his belt and the fullness of sash around his waif. We have the picture of Jesus Christ filled with the Spirit living here on earth. And we've been told to imitate Jesus, to be like him, to be like our Savior. So I want to take this and just apply it to you and me this morning. You see, first of all, we are filled with the Spirit. One of the covenant affirmations is that we are filled with the Spirit. We have the same Spirit Jesus had. We have the Spirit of God living with us. And that Spirit of God wants to give us wisdom and understanding. He wants to give us knowledge that we need to operate with confidence and know what it is we need to do on a daily basis. Well, how do we do that? I think of several things. First of all, God will never ask you to do anything contrary to his word. So how do you know if you're doing something contrary to his word, or if he wants you to do something, he might be telling you from his word. How do we get that unless we're what? In his word. That's why I love what Nate started us on a reading cycle in scripture. Um, We have to be in God's word to know what it is he might want us to do, to have the wisdom and understanding But not only are we in the Word, we need to be in prayer. You know, James told you, if you need wisdom, what are you supposed to do? Ask for it. Pray and ask for it. And God will give you liberally, he says. So if we're in the Word, we're praying, we're going to start opening our mind to the understanding and wisdom of God. The same wisdom that Jesus had. And then, the Bible and Proverbs tells us to seek godly advice. Seek the advice of others. In our individualized culture, where we don't all sit around the campfire at nights with our families and relatives from our local village, we're so separated, we don't often ask or have the opportunity to talk and share the wisdom of God one with another. I was just on the phone with my niece yesterday, single girl, living out in the country on a farm, and uh, just happened to call as I was driving by thinking had her on the mind, and she said, oh, glad you called. I don't know what to do. Are you ready for this? This is a life-shattering experience. She said, I don't know if I should drive the hour and a half to the barn sale to see if they have something for my horses and the hour and a half back. And I just, I got things to do and I just don't know. And and she's just trying to think that through. How's she going to spend her day? Are there going to be bargains waiting for her? Or is she going to have wasted? And so we talked about it. We talked about just what gives you joy. Is that a would that be a burden or is that a joy to drive on a day like yesterday in the country? So we talked about it for a while and all of a sudden you saw it. it just, I heard it on the phone. Got it. I know what I'm supposed to do. Just sharing. Just getting advice from a friend. Somebody older, wiser maybe. Another way to know the mind of God is we're supposed to operate throughout our day. Should I? Shouldn't I? To ask. And then finally, discern the circumstances, the opportunities that come your way We've all heard that story of uh, the man that's caught in the flood and he gets to his roof of his house and he's praying that God save him. And of course, the boat comes by and they said, Hey, come jump on. We're here to. No, I'm waiting for the Lord to save me. And the helicopter comes by and hey, you could jump, get, grab the rope. No, I, pray, I prayed the Lord to save me. And of course, the, the waters come, he drowns and he goes to heaven. Said, he said, Lord. And God says, I sent a boat and a helicopter. Do you see the circumstances? Do you see the opportunities you have each and every day to have the mind of God and and to live and act as He does? Um, Let me give you, oh, just an example. We got our man on the projector last night, Ben. Hey, Ben. Ben was my mentee, and you saw him up here being baptized. Well, we spent a couple years together, and yet when I saw the commitment he made to Jesus Christ, in giving his life to Christ and being baptized, that's an opportunity. I said, Ben, would you like to study a discipleship book this summer? Yes. 9.30 this morning, where were we? Where were we, Ben, at 9.30 this morning? McDonald's. And we were there with our youth pastor, okay? And uh, anyways, it was great. So all I'm saying, it was an opportunity. It was just obvious. What should you do? I don't want to get to heaven and I said I I didn't know what to do with Ben and I wasn't sure what to no there was an opportunity let me give you one more example maybe a little bigger because there are the times in life that we need God's wisdom and one of them is retirement okay I I had to decide when to step away from being head of school at Wheaton Academy and first of all that's a paycheck they take care of you're the CEO of a $15 million business, it's also prestige. You're the head of school. Yes, Dr. Frost, yes, Dr. Frost. And, you know, identity, lots of stuff. And I've watched other people navigate this. Well and not so well. I've watched people hold on long, way too long. And I had to make a decision. When am I gonna step away from that particular job? Well, what does the scripture say? There is a season for everything. There are seasons to step away and you need to understand the seasons of your life. I I met with a dear friend, he's 86, and he's been a consultant in Christian schools his whole life and a a while back he said to me, Gene, I'm going to finish strong. I'm going to hit that tape full speed because he used to be a long distance runner. I said, Mike, you're not going to hit that thing full speed and if you keep up, you're just going to fall on your face. (laughs) So we had a meeting down in Atlanta this last week. I said, You've got to read the times. Your wife is home and struggling. How are you going to deal with this time of your life to use it to God's glory? So we, had a, we talked about Scripture. We talked about what God wants for our lives at each different segment of our life. I prayed about it. I looked for God's wisdom in my prayers. I, I sought godly advice from other people. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? And then I had circumstances. The principal of my school is fully capable of running any school in America. In fact, he's running our school now. In fact, he was being asked to run some of the best schools in the country. And he wasn't taking those invitations because maybe he had a chance to run Wheaton Academy, but not if I stuck around forever. That was an opportunity. This was the time. This was the place. Scripture, prayer, counsel, opportunity, and God has blessed in these four years since then. One of the biggest blessings is they ask me to stick around. Most times when the old CEO leaves, what do they ask him to do? Keep getting lost. Yes, thank you. <laughs> right. In fact, I don't sit in on the board meetings because I would just be the 500-pound gorilla in the room, right? So, so you have to find out what God wants in your place. But by God's grace, the new head says, Gene, I need you. Stick around. Give me some wisdom, counsel, and advice. And if I do that the right way, I'm being blessed by being involved in the school and now I get to spend time with my 13, soon to be 15 grandchildren. An opportunity to preach to you this morning. Do we have the wisdom and knowledge of God? We can have it through the Holy Spirit. will teach us through scripture, through prayer, through counsel, through circumstances. Second, Verse 2, it says, he delights in the Lord. Jesus delighted in serving God. Do you remember what he said? He'd rather eat. Rather than eat or drink, he'd rather serve God. It was more important than eating and drinking. Now, do you do some things, or do you have some things you delight in so much that you've missed a meal because you were having such a great time? Right? Don't we all delight in things? That's Jesus delighted in God and serving him. How do we get there? You know, this is not a guilt trip. How do we get there? I I asked Dan, um, oh, he's down with the kids. Okay, I can talk about it. No, um, no, I asked him, what does he delight in? He came up with two things, real quick. Reading and running. I can identify with one and not the other. But reading and running. By the way, does reading take some work? Do you remember? I'm watching... um, My grandson. (laughs) Everett. Everett. Oh, he got 14. Okay. Everett. Everett's learning to read. Read. That's a lot of work. You know how long it took you to read? Remember that? It took you years. Are you delighting in it? No. But if you enjoy reading now, it's because you put the effort in. And now you're delighting in it. It takes a lot of work, a lot of time. you got to stick with it. you got to keep doing the phonetics. you got to keep working and working and working at it. Running. The reason he loves to run is because he's in shape. And he's in condition. How do you get there? I didn't ask permission, but, you know, when, you, when you're feeling good and you're riding your bike, it's delightful, isn't it? But it takes a lot of work to get there. Rehab. You're getting back to where you can delight in the work. So, all I'm saying is, if you want to delight in something, you're going to have to work at it. You're going to have to spend time at it. I delight in golf. I took t- lessons for the last two and a half years so I could delight in golf. Okay? It takes work. It takes investment. And so if we're going to delight in God, we need to be disciplined in our time in the Word and our time in prayer. I finally learned how to do a prayer cycle, so I wasn't jumbling everything on one day. I'm spreading it out over seven days. I start to have a cycle, so I'm not burdened by reading through Leviticus, and, you know, there's some things I've done. I figured it out, and now I almost can't get by a day unless I spend that time. This morning, I had lots to do this morning, but I I could not start with this, and I, I actually have a note now, and maybe some of you have done that too, is that time, you're getting the... Wisdom and understanding of God, as you pray or you think about things, things come to mind, and I have to write down almost every day something that day that came out of my study. Just maybe oh, I need to them. I need to remember that. I need to do this. The wisdom and understanding of God. We can have that through the Holy Spirit. We can delight in Him as we discipline ourselves in spending time with Him. And finally, we're invited to show justice and mercy, just as Jesus did. You see, it says here in the second half of verse 3 He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide decide by what he sees or hears with his ears. I find that very interesting. You know how we kind of make snap judgments and kind of what we see and how somebody might be dressed or just, you know, we make our assumptions of who we are and why we're there Um, and we jump to conclusions. Uh, I saw this week, I saw a video, and it was Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of a Effective Leader. Stephen Covey. And he shared a story where he got on a subway in New York. And he was sitting there on the subway, and at the next stop, a, family, a man got on with his three kids. And he went over, and he just kind of plopped down next to Steve and just kind of looked down, and his kids were running crazy up and down the car. Annoying people, you know, hitting their newspapers. Just out of control. His kids were out of control and he was sitting there. And finally he couldn't take it anymore. Stephen, he's polite, and he, but he finally says, Sir, um, do you realize your children are causing trouble and disturbing the get? You know, he's trying to be polite and how do you say it? And confronting, you know, caring enough to confront. And the man looked at him. He said, we just came from the hospital the kids lost their mother they don't know how to handle it and frankly either do I did your emotions change at all Do you see that situation differently he was going to make a judgment by what he saw and heard and he didn't know he didn't have the wisdom and knowledge that God has we need to be careful And in an age of misinformation, of social media, of news flashing back and forth and back and forth, we have to be very careful. We don't make judgments. We have to have the mind of God to show the mercy of God. Remember, punishment and judgment and retribution is God's business. Our job is to show the love and mercy of Jesus. This is what we're called to do. This is the life we've been asked to live. We have the Spirit of God that we can know and have wisdom and understanding. We can delight in Him. We can show mercy knowing that He is taking care of the justice. So as we look out these windows, we need to see a broken world that needs the love of Jesus. We need to invite them to look in to see the joy and the awesomeness of worshiping a merciful God. And if we do that, God will continue to add the bricks to our church.